ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to George Ezra and Friends, the podcast. This week, we are joined by the legendary Emily Evis. Now, Emily is the organiser, co-organiser um, of the Glastonbury Festival. For any of you that aren't familiar with the name Glastonbury Festival, what's going on, mate? Where have you been? Glastonbury is the most phenomenal music festival you could imagine. It is a beautiful place. It is a, a phenomenal thing to go and experience and to see. And if you ever get the opportunity, if you haven't been already, you should move heaven and earth to make sure you can get there because it's a it's an amazing thing to see um, and me and Emily sat down and to sit down and talk to somebody you know Emily has grown up with the festival in her life and uh, now of course organizes how it all pans out and uh, it was such an interesting conversation to sit down with somebody that is at the heart of our industry and pop culture and uh, see what her take on the whole thing is and I just it was an absolute treat to sit down and record this episode so I hope you enjoy it and um, I should say of course at the halftime break we will hear a word from our partners at Mind Charity now Mind are a group of people whose main aim and their goal that they have set out is to help all of us with our mental health and um, so they are a good bunch of people and if you're listening outside of the UK to this podcast you might hear an advert or two and if that is the case sit back enjoy the ride um, and of course there might be one or two swear words in this episode I always forget I don't know but there might be so if you're listening with kids in the car or around the house just a heads up but yeah this episode is amazing you're gonna love it so ladies and gentlemen please enjoy this conversation with Emily Eats. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of George Ezra and Friends, where I am joined by Emily Evis. Hello. <laughs> yeah, but then once that's happened, we're good to go. Hi. We can cut to that. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you for Very this. good. And I, I, I've been extremely excited about talking to you for many reasons. I think that you're the first person that I'm sitting down to talk to that really no matter how you will have tried, if you will have tried in your life, there will have been no escaping music. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, that you won't, I imagine, we'll get into it, but I imagine you won't remember a time where music hasn't been completely surrounding you in yeah. some way. Do you remember, all that aside, can you remember finding music for yourself? Do you remember a period in your life where it wasn't just you know, because of the family you were born into, where you were finding bands for yourselves or artists? Yeah, I do actually, that's a good question, because quite often people assume that I've always been, but so I was born in 79, right, so the festival in the 80s was like, it was quite the music that we had on, certainly in the early 80s, it was much more like of a kind of certain genre, like there was only really one stage, and there was a lot of um, um, kind of, it was more like Elvis Costello and Van Morrison and great artists like that. But in the early 80s, um, it didn't really cross over into the kind of pop, pop culture in, in the kind of popular mm. way that it does now in the way that kind of the bands that might be in the chart, for example, would be playing on the pyramid. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so that was the music that I kind of had around me, like a lot of that kind of, kind of stuff. And, um, and then I, I suddenly, like, probably in the early late 80s 
when I was probably like nine, ten, I started like really getting excited by my own kind of music. Do you know what I mean? Like getting, like I got really into The Cure, for example, <laughs> and like, and then, and then, they ended up playing, and I was like, this is amazing. And at that moment, I was like, oh, actually, this festival that's a little bit, you know, because sometimes it was a bit kind of full on when I was little. I was like, this festival is quite cool. Like, because the bands that I like are coming. Mm. And there was a kind of, in the 90s, more and more, like the Happy Mondays, and um, there were loads more bands in the 90s that kind of crossed into a different, different genres, I suppose, um, and expanded. But I have to say, as a starting point, Elvis Costello and Van Morrison were brilliant starts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like, amazing. Yeah. Astral Weeks, mm. you know, growing up with mm. that. It was uh, and amazing. And did you have friends around you? What were you listening to? you know, as groups of kids, yeah. Yeah, well, we were, I remember like a lot of kids at school getting into kind of smash hits bands, you know, like at that time there was a real divide. It's, it's interesting now, there's not so much, but, um, and I was like, it felt so removed from what we were doing at home. Like I'd look around and see all these kind of amazing artists. And, and I suppose like, I remember Shakespeare's sister, do you remember them? No. Do you not? No, I left Oh, check okay, that okay. Out. So they had a really big hit called Stay, which was like in the very early 90s. And, and they were like the first band who were kind of like, who played, who were from that kind of smash hits sort of world. Okay, so they're um, the first booking that you remember that were kind of pop culture, mm, you know. Headline as well. They headlined okay, on the pyramid. So it was quite a big, um, big slot on Sunday night. And I remember it was the first time that people at school were like, oh my God. Interested know, in what you were interested. doing. Interested. Okay. Like it was like, oh, you've really like, you know, you've got someone really big now. Cause it kind of, before, even though they were big, it wasn't, it wasn't stuff that kids were into so much. Yeah. And so suddenly it was like, and then after that, it kind of opened up and everyone was like, yeah. oh, can I have a ticket? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that happening. Um, and you mentioned just then that was really interesting about, um, you know, it being more of a left festival once upon a time, or not kids in pop culture, you know. Yeah. And you remember that first booking. Yeah. Do you remember that being a big point of conversation in your home? Was it kind of like, should we do this? Should we not? Was yeah. there like a conversation of, is this what we want to do? I, d I don't know, actually. I can't remember the conversations so much. I think at that point, right, there was, um, we had a booker um, called Martin, and he did, like, the majority of the bookings. And because it wasn't the same scale as what it is now, he just, you know, him, he'd probably just ring my dad up and be like, right, you know, I've got this idea, and I'd be like, sounds good. There was a lot of trust, and we were much more removed than we are now from the kind of entire music industry we were like an alien entity really in the countryside that was mm. seen as really alternative and kind mm. of and quite like you know it was it was sort of like we would in a way we'd kind of take any bands that we could get um do you know what i mean we'd be like come on come down yeah, come down yeah, so yeah. we were on the hard sell in a way yeah. <laughs> and um, it's different now because people understand it and they know about it and it's established and it's just a different era of festival really yeah but it's not just established because, and I don't know if you feel this way, but from where I'm stood, where growing up, Glastonbury Festival is 
it is the heart of live music. It is this kind of, and the reason that music appealed to me as a kid was that it wasn't competitive. There's not a, there's not a sense of winning or losing. It's mm. creative, and and therefore it kind of is fluid. But yeah. So this seems like a the wrong analogy, but to me it was the World Cup of music. You know, oh, and I would really? sit and watch it. Um, That's interesting. So I grew up in a small town, and it's nowhere near as far into the country as, say, the festival is. Yeah. But there was one small venue of 200 capacity. You know, it was almost that's watching the festival at home on TV. I, I never thought I would step foot on the grounds because it just felt like this huge. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt. So what year were you born then, if you don't mind me asking? I was born in 1993. Okay. Um, so when do you think? What do you remember any performances from, like that you saw on TV from, like, I guess yeah. whenever you would have started getting into it on television? Yeah, I'm try I don't know because I think at the, thing, um, I think when I was really young, it was more of a kind of a safari for me. So I didn't yeah. know who I was tuning in to watch. If that yeah. makes sense, it was yeah. more. I will put this on. And it was like a circus. Kind yeah, of and it didn't matter yeah. who was on. It was more, almost actually what I remember more is the crowd shots. Yeah. And that, the, the seeing flags. it as some kind of euphoria of, you know, the, all of these people. Yeah. But now, actually, my memory of the festival is skewed somewhat, having been there. And so my memories of the festival are, are far more... They're being in the audience and seeing yeah. people. And they're memories in music that I will never forget. So it's like seeing the Rolling Stones on the yeah. pyramid stage. That was amazing. It was just incredible. And it was the first backstage behind the pyramid stage. I did a thing for BBC Introducing in the West. Yeah. And played Budapest for the first time ever. No. Live. Yeah, in a truck. Oh my God. And then they said, we need to do one last interview. And I never do this, but I just said, can we do it tomorrow? I've just, I've got to watch the Rolling Stones. And naturally, I couldn't find anybody that I knew at the festival, so I stood and watched it by myself. And I remember even having a little cry, because it was just it like was so overwhelming, overwhelming um, to be there. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just... God, they were so good. <gasps> Sometimes it's funny, isn't it? It's like, you can't really put your finger on it, but there's something about the combination of things that happen in the night time like you know you just it's like something to do with like the weather the environment yeah. the the kind of the mood of the band or in the audience the, whatever's happened that weekend yeah. there are so many factors that make it completely like I, I, magic I completely like that I agree and I, and I think that's where the, my um my equivalent to that is when we put together set lists how does one song lead from another and how do we create a feeling but that i imagine is what putting a lineup together is kind of like yeah you know, you, things have to flow from one to the other totally just quickly before i forget you kind of quickly going back to this whole what the festival was in the 80s yeah was there ever a time where you were disinterested in the festival was that i heard once, and I don't know how factual this is, but I heard once of J.K. Rowling, Rowling's daughters having not read Harry Potter because to them it was just this <laughs> thing. That Drag. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but was there ever a time where the festival for you was something you were disinterested in, you know, and it was just... Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, completely. <laughs> like, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose I only ever really saw the downside because when you're little, like you kind of want to sort of be like, every, you sort of want to fit in. Like you don't want to be like really unusual and stand out. And you sort of just want kind of to do the most basic ch children things, which is like have people over and, you know, go to your friends' houses and do all those normal things after school. But in the 80s, it was like fraught. You know, I'd get home and we'd have to go to the council and have an emergency meeting with the licence and the police would be coming over. Blah, blah, blah. And it was all through our house. And so, like, um, it was slightly... It was quite full-on. Like, the atmosphere was just, like... We were in a slight state of emergency the whole time. Mm. And because um, we were always just trying to get through to the next year because we just... Like, whether we get the... Like, it was always really difficult to get a licence. So we had to kind of, and there were normally prosecutions afterwards and things. And so, you know, just with sound, with complaints. And so there was a lot of juggling in the 80s. It was a really different time. And I was like, why are you doing this? Yeah. I just remember looking at my parents going, why? Like, all we seemed to get was all the negative. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then I sort of suddenly just got it, really, in the late, late 80s, early 90s. I was like, I can see why this is great. This is really a positive thing. This is really, like, people are really enjoying it. Like, we only ever saw the kind of, the more wounded. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, because we had welfare next to our house, which looks after people who are a little bit, like, lost or overwhelmed. And then we had a medical facility in our sitting room. And so, like, that's what I saw growing up, was people coming in, like, you know, in slightly states of, in various states. And, um, and it was different. Like, we had a lot more dealers in those days because the fence didn't really work, and so... It kind of, it just, yeah, there were more casualties and, um, yes, yeah, so the whole thing was just a very different environment. But so That thing you were saying about as a kid, and kids are brutal as well, so anything that separates you from the crowd yeah. is a weakness to children oftentimes. Yeah. In many ways, they're really open-minded, but yeah. um, that whole, it's such a fringe existence. Even, even today, when you go to the festival, it's... it's the majority of people going are going often as their holiday and it's this kind of four or five days that they escape from reality but in such a huge way it is a completely different reality yeah i can imagine as a kid that just being the realities of putting it all together and what you were saying about yeah. welfare in your front room yeah yeah that you're so sensitive as a kid that must have been terrifying i know times. i was like oh god yeah. i mean great like anti-drugs lesson mm. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> yeah. um, but you know I um I kind of amazed that they stuck with it. I just um it's phenomenal that like my parents because it was hard work and really sort of thankless. They didn't have the kind of thanks that you get now, which is like people going, you know, writing letters saying we really enjoyed it. We get a lot of people feedback from people, which is really nice. And that's one of the things about social media as well, is you can really direct you can speak directly to people and hear people's thoughts, but we just got the negative, you know, you just had mm. so much negative. And yeah, it was quite a, an unusual thing, but it got better. Yeah, can you, I was about to say, can you pinpoint a year or years where it was kind of like, oh, I think we're getting away with this now. Like the, the kind of, the complaints or the, the reactions after the festival being less and less. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think there was a bit of a turning point in the sort of mid-90s um, when it became like, I think we coincided with the whole Britpop thing. 
So like Oasis and Pulp and Stone Roses were due to play. And we had all these kind of, and Blur, and there, there were loads of sort of bands that we happened to have at a time where, I suppose it was quite a positive time, the Tony Blair was coming in and it was quite optimistic and music seemed to be part of the whole culture of like politics and everything seemed to be kind of entwined for a moment and it was feeling really like this is a great place mm. to be. And I think at that point, yeah, I could, you could sense it just in the area. A lot of more people were interested in coming and it became, it almost transitioned, I think, a little bit then. And then again, when the TV started in 1997, because that was like, people weren't so scared of it. I think the thing that I had at school is people going like, what goes on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like, never considered that it wasn't on TV before. That's so yeah. stupid of me, because I just, I've lived in a world where it has been. Yeah, that's so funny, isn't it? Because it, to me, it's not that long ago, but it is long ago, because it's 1997, and it's the same people, Mark and Alison. You know Mark Cooper of the BBC? Um, I'm sure I could I'm sure, wear. yeah, yeah, but he's, um, so they, they film it so well, and I think the way in which they capture the bands and the musicians that come, and they translate it and send it out into the world, it's like a really, it's amazing. I think it's the best live music concert footage oh, that, that you can incredible. get. incredible. The coverage is just brilliant, and it doesn't feel either, to me, that, that anything's overlooked so I think whatever your your tastes are in music I think you're covered yeah um, totally which I and think that's really important and I, and you feel that when you're at the festival entirely as well you yeah I've got a friend that grew up just outside Bristol and uh, him and his family have been every year for say 10 years running or something and he's like I still haven't seen the whole festival and I've tried, you yeah. know, I've just, it's so huge and that can't have always been a, a deliberate thing of, okay, you know, we need to make the festival bigger and bigger, but I think it's due to the inclusivity of the festival of, well, why not have the tent that plays X genre? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, is there ever a point where you go, okay, I think we're we're happy with the size of it now. <laughs> you know? I think we are happy with the size of it now. I think, like, like even actually, like yesterday I was in a meeting with an area and they were going, we think we need a stage for, okay, this is, like, really particular, for bands that are emerging from other countries in the world, right? So international new artists. But not necessarily any genre, just the no. fact that they're new artists Just from new overseas. artists, okay. yeah. And I was like, oh, God. And, you know, of course we haven't got that. But then <laughs> it's probably, like, one of the few tents that we don't have. <laughs> but we yeah. actually can't add any more venues, I think, because we are just at capacity, you know? Yeah. Like, when you walk around... You kind of just, you, there are so many places to go and watch music and discover new bands. But it's like, we can't keep adding. You, at some point, you have to go, no. Yeah. <laughs> and we're at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no. And actually, if you are a new, an international artist, you can play in one of the other tents. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we seems don't like have a really niche. It's quite niche. But, yeah. you know, like, there are always new ideas and people are always coming in with new ideas, yeah. which is great. But, um, but I kind of feel like, from a sound systems perspective, we are at capacity. I kind of, you know, if anything, we need like more, tranqu more tranquility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, instead of more PAs being put more up. More base. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> you that. Know what I mean? yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's a testimony as well to the festival. You were talking about the coverage and how, the, how you know, pleased you are with how it comes across on the TV. But every time that you step foot on the festival ground, or every time I do, I just think it's a, a complete feat of organisation because it's so... I can't get my head round how you begin to organise something of that size. So is it that you um, kind of entrust different people with different areas and then everyone yeah. is almost micromanagement of small areas that make the whole thing exist? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you've got it. That's exactly how it works. In, in each area, there's a big team. So minimum, well, it depends, probably like 700 to 1,000 people, say. So entire crew is like 50,000, that's including all the performers, which is a lot of people. And so like each, each area manages its crew, its performers, its tickets, its entrance, crew camping, its whatever, toilets, its bars, its all those facilities. And, um, and then we feed, they feed up and back, and so back and forth. And we've got a great operations manager called Adrian, who's, um, who's just completely calm <laughs> under all circumstances. <laughs> it's amazing. And so, yeah, we all just, we, we, every morning of the festival, we have a silver meeting, which is like with, with the police, with the fire, with the council. With the this office. is every day that the festival is on? Yes. Okay. So this is just manage, managing the event and every area feeds back into that. So we know exactly what's going on through the, the level, you know, those communication mm. strands, but they kind of feed back to an HQ where we, so then we can say, right, so like when the lightning, like Rudimental were playing during a lightning, a massive storm. Oh, I remember that. And we had to, do you remember we had to shut down yeah, the stages? Yeah. And it was quite, it was a kind of classic moment of like, is this going to work, this communication? Because mm. sometimes getting hold of people in a valley where there's not that much reception and you're reliant on radios and it's raining and it's thunder and you're like, oh. So we had to like shut the stages within, like, we had about 10 minutes to do it. And so we were just like radioing through to every stage and just right, shut down, shut down, shut down, power down, power down, power down. Because you could see the lightning moving across the valley towards us. And <laughs> poor Rudimental like halfway through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, boom, yeah. off. And everyone went, and it worked. And so when, you know, when those kind of emergencies do happen, that, you know, it, we do manage to get those messages out. Yeah, it's the analogy, I know it's often, and I've found myself doing it as well, referring to Glastonbury Festival as being its own town, its own city almost. Yeah. But when you talk about it like that, that really does sound like a town council. And, you yeah, know, it's like, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> it's, it's... It does. I, but funnily enough, there's less crime and less inc police incidents, less drugs incidents and mm. alcohol incidents than you would get in the same size city. So it's the same size as Oxford and you get less incidents. And that's because people generally really look after each other. Yeah. And they look out for each other and they're nice to each other. And it's like, and that's what's, that's always amazing, yeah. I think, to see, to see that in action. And you really do feel that. I've, I've there's something about, and I don't know if it is that kind of people seeing it as an escape from reality, and as things f f feel more and more kind of disjointed in society at times, to have this place that is, it's, it's all revolves around this positive thing, which is art. And, yeah. And I think to, 
to experience it is amazing. And I, I'm now one of these people, before I came to the festival, I used to get so annoyed when people were like, you've got to go to Plastic Because <laughs> I was like, it, it's a festival, man, you know. And then you go and it is just that, it is that incredible. And I don't, I still haven't been able to put my finger on what it is that makes it that way. Yeah. Uh, have you got any insight? Do, can you, from where you're stood, pinpoint something that makes it so special? No, I mean, it's amazing hearing you, your take on it, because, like, we're so lost in it, you know, like, we're so absorbed in it, and I, every, every day and every night, you know, you're kind of dreaming about it, waking up thinking about it, just constantly, like, seem to be slightly, like, under attack with, like, questions and things to deal with. So it's really nice to hear, like, oh, what's it like? Because, you know, um, I've got no idea what makes it so great. I know that it's really special, and it's, like, and it means the world to us, you know, but I kind of go, I think there's no one reason why it kind of is great. It's the sum of so, there are so many different parts. Um, there are so many different elements that make it great. And, um, and I, I just can't put my finger on it, to be honest. Is your dad able to stop and appreciate what the festival is? Is there moments of clarity where he kind of is able to appreciate what the festival is. Yeah, I think so. He he really does and he um and he you know the way he's kind of the kind of love that he gets and you know the the feedback that he gets from people and he walks around he's like you know <laughs> he, he's like um people just you know dive in with kind of selfies and stuff. And it's very sweet, you know, it's, they tr he's like a treated like a you know a kind of you know some sort of like a pope kind of figure <laughs> you know it's like it's really funny and we laugh about it but also it's really sweet and it's lovely for him because you know he has spent a lot of his life certainly you know when when I was growing up it was very stressful and so it's really nice for it to be but I don't think that he knows or I know nobody really knows what it is I think the fact that we we've got integrity and that we don't you know we kind of do it our own way and that we do you know there are elements like all the charity stuff that we do the fact that we're kind of trying to give money away to charity and not make big profits that's unusual um, for a kind of business of this size um, obviously mostly most people would be trying to <laughs> to make money on skim on say the areas but we put all the money into the area so you do get like these incredible areas that are just like you know another world but then we also don't pay the bands big big fees and so we're like competing with really big commercial festivals that pay bands like we're 10% of what they'd get for you know any other well you know well I was about to say from an artist point of view I don't think you need to worry about that because I think just the it's such an honor to be invited it's that doesn't matter you know I think the um the badge of honor of being able to say you've performed at Glastonbury outweighs the money oh, that, you, I, that you would get somewhere else. I th that's certainly my take on it. And I, I think that there's... It's such a... And especially now that you see... Arthur, so Kanye as an example, having him headline, it, it was so special because it proves that it's... Um, that's so current. And especially when he did it, 
you know, yeah. when he headlined. And I know whenever a headliner like that is announced, there's, well, any, any headliner is announced. There's mm. the, for and against, because mm. you can't please everybody. But I mean, we certainly do manage to ruffle <laughs> I know, but I, social I, media. I, yeah, I just, I think having somebody like Kanye West perform, it, it, it kind of, I'm sure that it puts the festival to a different audience in some way, but I think it just proves how much of a big deal it is to play the festival. Yeah. I know that every year there's huge headliners, and whether it be the Stones or, but it's, it's almost those people who expected to headline it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, completely, and that's why it's really important to get the the, the you know the right dynamic. Mm. But it's um it's always, you know, it's always quite um, stressful mm. putting the lineup together. Mm. Um, you know, it's not. I mean, that's really sweet of you to say about the fee because I don't. I think that you understand it and you've been and you've you know you've you kind of got it. Um, but it is harder if, if artists haven't been because you're, especially like if they're coming from the States and you're kind of going, this is really significant, this is, and you're like, and then the agent looks and he's like, is that a joke, <laughs> your offer? Yeah. And we're like, this is loads for us, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're like, but, you know, the thing that happens every time is because of the TV and because of the exposure that they get, they do go on to do really well afterwards quite often, yeah. you know, artists. So they'll sell records after. And so we're often saying, look, you know, come and do this. But even though it's a small fee, we can almost guarantee that afterwards you'll make, you'll make up for it. And, you yeah, know. I just, I think, and that's, from my experience as well, partly to do with how involved the BBC are. My first performance at Glastonbury was on the introducing stage. And it was the biggest thing that of all the things that I was involved with around that time, nothing made such an impact. And it was really? kind of... Really? That's yeah, brilliant. It was just huge. And I still... I'm fairly sure that the thumbnail they use of me on the BBC website is still me performing on that stage. I really? think, yeah, and it was so much... And I think that's still the case. How old were you then when you did that? Oh, I'm rubbish with things like this. I imagine... Definitely no older than 20, but I want to say 19. You were very young. Yeah, I was. I got the train all the way from Hartford, and I camped behind the stage that I played on. And I remember the night before I played, because I was so nervous, I remember waking up in my tent at probably about... It must have been first sun, so I don't know when that is, 4 a.m. or so. And you know when you've just woken up and actually you are definitely still asleep? Yeah. And I got completely dressed in my tent and was like, you need to be on stage. And then checked the time and was like, fucking hell, it's 4 a.m. <laughs> what is going And I was just so panicked and just stressed from it all. Oh, um, God, that's amazing. Yeah. So what time did you go on in the end? So I've, I played Sunday, um, which was brilliant, because it meant I went down on the Thursday and enjoyed the festival. I got partying out the way on Thursday night, maybe a little bit on Friday night. Yeah. And then Saturday night, it was like I was in bed by 7, because I was just like, you know. Um, and I oh. think I went on at, I don't know, the sun was definitely still up, and I, def I left that day. And I remember the, the most amazing thing was I finished the gig, packed my guitar away, and then got onto one of the shuttles to go out of the festival. And I was just surrounded by festival goers, none of whom knew that I had just played. And I remember just so sat there 
I, yeah, couldn't believe it. That's so um, funny. That's amazing. Yeah. To think of you, like, God, so much has happened to you, hasn't it? Oh, like, my God. It, I yeah. mean, you've really, like, in a very short space of time, like, you've just... But I think it's just a product exploded. of just saying yes to things. So I just, I, like, it was never... I never went to, like... I was never part of a kind of stage schooly family or, like, a this yeah. is what you're going to do or anything like that. It was more just... I've, I've kind of said yes to opportunities. See, but I don't think it's just that, do you? I think it really helps saying yes. It's I just such a good idea. To and I'm like, yeah. a, I'm, my curiosity is just so that when someone says, "Do you want to do this?" I go, "Yeah." Brilliant. But yeah. So good to say yeah, yes. It is. I and mean, I, it's, that's really good advice, I think, for people starting out as yeah. well. That just to say yes, to be yeah. like. To, you know, just to go for it. My mentality when I first started out was, well, if I'm not playing tonight, then I should be rehearsing in some way or writing in some way. And why not see an open mic as a posh rehearsal? Because no one yeah. gives a shit that you're playing anyway. Totally. <laughs> Most open mics. You're so so you good. might as well just see it as. Did you have someone that? tell you that, or did you just no? Know I think that? it was just my. I think. If I'm honest, and this is, I won't go too far down this, but I felt a disadvantage to a lot of people. So I. I didn't have, there wasn't money for me to spend on doing tours or anything like that, which a lot of kids have in music, right. it seems to me. Right. It seems that a lot of, if you want to go on tour, that costs, even if you skimp it, it costs a lot of money. And so there's a lot of fortunate people that either have that in their family or that it allows them to go and do that. And I think I was so aware that I didn't have that, that I just... I was living in Bristol, and as far as I could tell, there was a gig every night for open mic nights, and I was like, well, that's, it cost me nothing. That's Often, the, you know, someone there will buy you a pint as well, so it was kind of like everything. So what, in Bristol, you were doing loads of open mics? Yeah, yeah, I was doing up to five a week, just... just and then who found you? Um, my or manager, who? I was at a, a college called BIM, uh, it's an institute for modern music, yeah. and my manager contacted a lecturer there and just said, is there anything I should be aware of? And then I sat down with my now manager, we shook hands, and that's been it since. Because I was a bit like, and I don't want to belittle what my manager does whatsoever, but I was so naive to how the industry worked. I didn't really care about his credentials. It was just the fact that someone said, I want to manage you. I was like, that sounds official. You know, that's, that's that, that sounds like help. Um, so I went with it. it, it just. And you've got Angus as well. Oh, Angus, man. And Angus is great. I love him to pieces, Angus. And he is so behind you. And that, yeah. that's really important, I think, as an yeah. artist, to have those kind of people yeah, who are just... Do you know just... what, as well? The, the first thing I did, I wasn't... I was so naive, again, about record labels when I was in Bristol. The thing I did that I would recommend to any young artist was actually I was... First, I was in touch with... Um, local promoters and I just said to them if ever you need I'm one kid with a guitar if ever you need an opener even with half an hour's notice I'll be there that is so good yeah it's the best my advice. god you should be giving advice to bands <laughs> yeah. it's brilliant Halftime break, the interval. What an amazing conversation! I loved it. I just loved sitting back and geeking out with Emily. Um, I, yeah, it was. 
it was just an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, and now this is the part of the podcast where I tell you what I'm up to, um, which is mainly we are performing, which is an amazing thing because we love performing. And thank you to all of you that support what we do and buy the tickets that keep us out on the road. Um, this year coming up, we've got tours of Europe and of the UK. We've got dates in Australia coming around the corner. In fact, when this podcast episode is released, I think we'll be in Australia. So I'll be getting my tan on. Um, so that's something to look forward to. I'm just I'm recording this at the end of a week of um, promo around America. So we've just done Washington, D.C., Baltimore, L.A., Denver, Colorado Springs, New Orleans, New York. It's been full on. You can probably hear New York bubbling away outside the window. Um, these people love a car horn. Now, 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 if any of you out there could do with a bit more George Ezra in your life, and don't laugh, there might be some people out there that feel they need a little bit more. And if that's the case, georgeezra.com is the place to go. Um, and that's where you'll find all of my music and videos and information about live performances and tour dates, merchandise. You can sign up to the journal there. There's a load of good stuff going on at georgeezra.com. So go and check that out. Um, now let's hear a word from our partners at Mind. Here you go. And without further ado, let's jump back into the conversation. Here is the second half of my chat with Emily Evis. Because I did the BBC introduce. Did you do that this year, the live thing? Uh, no, live. I couldn't make it. No. I ended. Up, I remember doing some liners for it to tell people to go down. Okay, because it was yeah. really good, but yeah. it was like like lots of budding artists and stuff. Yeah. Those, those, that kind of advice is brilliant, because yeah. that's, that's one of the things I said about is getting in touch with local promoters. Oh, it's so important. But then also, just on a, you know, there's a venue like the Louisiana in Bristol, which is incredible, run by a family, which I, 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 sorry, I don't know if it still is, but they would cook pasta for anyone playing. So if you're, like, it was brilliant. If everyone no. got the call saying, can you come and support the Louisiana? Not only did I know I was going to be playing to somebody, I knew that I was going to be fed that night. And it's all, great. you know, I'd, yeah. I'd, I didn't know that about the Louisiana. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. Gonna, I'm going to have to go there more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. saying that about the headliners um, and broadening the festival and everything, and I don't want to get hung up on this, but Stormzy was announced yeah. for next year. Yeah. Which I don't know when this episode will go out. It could well be around the festival in 2019. Oh, okay. You know. okay. But so Stormzy has been announced yeah. for Friday? So that's Friday. Um, and we announced that. And we're actually going to announce someone else either later today or tomorrow morning. Okay, um, so who's doing the Sunday tea time slot. And the Sunday tea time slot is like... Almost like the kind of fourth headline. Can you tell me? Kylie. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Which we is were, brilliant. That's brilliant. Because it's like she had to pull out in 2005 yeah. um, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. And she's never been back. Yeah. So well, she's never been. She's never played. And she did come on with the Pet Shop Boys, I think, once, like a long time ago. But it'll be great for That'd her to have amazing. that kind of Sunday afternoon, yeah. you know, big, you know, kind of moment. Um, and, and in a way, like, I think that's, it's interesting, like, the fourth, you know, the, the kind of the big slot, because it's like, we now have, like, we have a kind of metal slot on a Friday, which is, like, Friday about five o'clock. And that's a new thing which has just started. 
And, you know, that's now a really big slot. And I quite like this. I'm quite into the expansion of the lineup yeah. beyond those three headline yeah, slots. Because, because people get so hung up on it. Oh, my God. And when people get hung up on it and they're going, I can't read that person's headline, I, I, I just sit and I think, there will be thousands of acts on that weekend. Why do you care yeah. who plays at that time? Yeah. I, th there will be... I th yeah, sorry. I th no, I just... it's always crazy. And I think, I, think, I think we'll always get it, whoever we announce. But it's certainly worse when it's like someone who kind of is lesser known from... Mm. Like, I think, like, in terms of our audience is so broad. Mm. And, and a lot of people would be like, even though Stormzy's massive in certain areas, there are some, maybe some older people yeah. or some, I don't know who they are, these people who, who you know, had a little bit of a freak out. Um, but and who just go, well, who is this? And it's like, well, you don't need to know. Well, it, yeah, you can go to someone else, go and watch yeah. someone else on when West When I Holstein. heard about Stormzy, I didn't freak out, but the, the one thing that I thought when I heard about it was his career's still in its infancy, and I know he's done so much but yeah. it, it's from actually from his point of view. Uh, it, m the thing that I've, and this, it's on a different scale, but I remember I was asked to perform um, on the Live Lounge way too early on, and I wasn't ready. And, it, yeah. it, it, um, and so the only thing I thought when I heard about it initially was like, oh, I hope he finds it fulfilling. Like, I hope that yeah. the gig for him is, you know, what he wants it to be. And then what he wants it to be. And then I, I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. And there was a few things that I thought. One of which was, Christ, even just Stormzy's performance at the Brits, to me, is evidence that he can perform the headline slot at Glastonbury. Just yeah. the production. That was, yeah. I don't care who you were, when you watched that, it was jaw-dropping. And I remember yeah. being... You know, I think I forgot to breathe at some point. It was just like, this yeah. is... So that... The design is of that show. ...is a showman thing, which is just... It, it, that makes me excited to see what he does on the stage. Yeah, I agree. And actually, because um, the... Um, I can't remember who it was who did it, that show. But, um, but it certainly would look... It was just incredible, the kind of design. And I think the... After I... Um, yeah, because that would have been in February. Was that last year? Because yeah. it was after Grenfell, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, so um, the last time he played on the other stage, mm. I walked into the field and I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is, he's, this guy can headline. And I th it was at that point that we were like, he's got a headline. And I think for us, like, it's so much about, and we did it with Coldplay in 2001, after one album. We did it with the Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys, yeah. This was yeah. the thing I thought about, was that this isn't the first time someone's performed being announced for the headline after one album. And you get the outrage, because then people are like, how can they possibly do it? And it's like, this is, you're sort of like missing the point because this is what's exciting. Like when you watch a band transition and they come onto the stage, an artist, and like as one thing, and they leave the stage as another, like that's what's exciting. But also, the, both of those examples of Coldplay and Arctic Monkeys, although booked a headline after their first albums, have headlined it more than once, so yeah. have been invited back to do it, and it's that development of the confidence of them from performance to performance, from year to year, yeah. and also I think it gives, so say somebody like Stormzy, it's broadened his, the options for him on a stage like that, it allows an artist 
to flex their creative muscles in a way they wouldn't be able to do otherwise, which yeah. produces shows that are standout. And yeah. The other thing that I thought about it, which is brilliant, is if you are particularly a young black man in England, to see somebody like Stormzy perform on that slot it will be incredibly inspiring because mm. you need, there's no doubt in life, we look at people that we relate to. And so who do you identify, identify with? with and therefore what are your possibilities in life, you know? Yeah. For Stormzy to headline, there will be so many kids, and I think about myself watching it as a kid, that will see it. And something inside of them, they might not even know it, but something inside of them will go like, I can do that. Yeah. You know? Which is, yeah. above all, that's the most amazing thing about it. I it think. really, I think, no, you're totally right. And it's really important to do that. It's our responsibility as a festival of our size to create those moments and to, and to put people, you know, like Stormzy, in those spots which will then hopefully lead on to something greater mm. you know it's like it's it's really it's just yeah it's just kind of and also it's like the balance of the whole weekend but I, th I really think that he can do it mm. and it's the sort of so instinctive isn't it like it's like with you know it, I feel like it's kind of a creative process really like putting it together but it's like yeah he can do this and in a way you kind of you don't really need to listen you, you can have all the noise around you and all the people shouting through the on the internet but actually I feel quite sure that it's like he's the right person yeah. that he will be I'm sure he'll be really good it'll be it'll be brilliant the other thing to bear in mind is there's no way that he won't release an album either a month before a week after yeah. the day before whatever there will be next year will of course be a very exciting year for Stormzy you know yeah um yeah I can't wait I think it's going to be brilliant we have like all these incredible artists coming in from all over the world and you know it, it's like it's like somebody described it to me recently as the Christmas of music. You yeah know? that's better and than the World Cup, the Christmas <laughs> yeah. of music, that's a much better analogy. But it, it feels like that, it's like you know there's just yeah there's all kinds of artists on yeah. the bill and amazing like legendary American kind of icons and like coming to play in you know a Saturday yeah, afternoon yeah, yeah. and you know you're like oh that's amazing. So actually, the whole thing makes sense when you see it in yeah. one Have you ever had, page. and you don't need to say any names in particular, but that initial thought of mine of like, oh, wh what if that particular artist thinks it's too early to headline Glastonbury in their own mind? Have you ever had um, artists early on in their career turn that down? Coldplay nearly did. Really? They said yes. They did what you were saying, say yes. Straight away, Chris was like, yep, we're going to do it. And then they were like, I don't think we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't got enough songs. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and Phil rang up, their manager Phil rang and said, look, I don't think, you know, it was so nice of you to offer, but we really, I don't think we can do it this time. We're going to have to wait until we're ready. We, we, you know, wait till we've got a second album. And, you know, if we're lucky enough, we'll be asked about it. And it was really, like, really politely done but we were going no you can't <laughs> yeah, do that yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got to do it now yeah. come on you can totally do this and um and so they did 
they did change their mind, but it was like a persuasion. Oh, almost. Yeah. Do you know what? When you asked right at the beginning if there was any standout moments, I remember. I remember Coldplay one year headlining and lighting the pyramid, but from the outside. So oh, the yeah. whole thing. And I remember being like, that is amazing. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Something um, that I know of yourself is this kind of you, the fight to have equal representation yeah. for men and women in music. Do you feel the responsibility to be waving that flag outside of it just being in, in, a, in you to want to fly that flag? Is there something when you're putting the lineup together where you go, do you know what? I've just looked at what we've put together quite naturally and I feel we're missing, you know, X kind of acts here. Yeah, it's a huge um, responsibility and something that is really important to me, but also, like, I'm not, <coughs> I'm not, um, you know, I'm going to do what's right as well for the lineup, you know, for the festival. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I want, I want as many females on the bill as we can, can, we can get. It would be great if we could be 50 50. Um, I didn't sign up to the key change campaign about 50 50 because I don't think it's realistic for us to be, to pledge, to make a pledge. But also, I am doing that anyway, so I'm kind of trying to address it. Um, but it is, it's quite tricky, um, certainly on the pyramid, because they're just, the pool of women is not as big. That issue of the pool not being big enough is an issue outside of your control. That's exactly. Uh, it's kind of radio, A&Rs, mm. you know, it's like, it, it's broader than just yeah. the festival okay. booking. How, so... You go to bed on the 29th of June or whenever the festival yeah. kind of ends. Is it that late? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, always the last full weekend in June. How many days is it until you're planning the next year? <laughs> Straight away? <laughs> yeah. In fact, at the moment, we're planning 20 because it's our 50th anniversary. And so we've got lots and lots of kind of um, ideas for that. Um, and yeah, we, so we, we are sort of, we're working on two at the moment, but normally we just do the <laughs> next one. <laughs> we get this one out of the way. But 19 is going to be, I think it's always, it's going to be great. And one of the reasons is that we've had a fallow year, which is like a year off, which is really important because you just disappear and you completely vanish, which you'll appreciate this as an artist because like sometimes, you know, if you're releasing, you just need that bit of space, don't you, to just go, okay, I'm just going to drop off the radar and let other people come through and do, you know, other festivals do their thing. Because it is quite, it kind of dominates sometimes, mm. Glastonbury. And it's quite nice to just disappear and then come back. And I think everyone's really enthusiastic. And that's brilliant because we, we so rely on that energy, you know, like yeah. the energy from the crew, the energy from the artists, the enthusiasm, the kind of, all of that stuff, the yeah. good feeling is really like, really high so I think yeah we should be we're all set for next year okay, amazing that's it it's blows my mind a little bit do you know that shotgun is like the playground tune like everyone literally like you do not understand every time we have friends over like all of my kids yeah. friends they're literally like they all know every word it's amazing think, yeah, it is, did you know that I am aware of it I mean that's and like incredible how did you do that and the th part of the reason I'm aware of it is because I've never had a song that's been so successful. And I think to have a song on that level, you do need kids. Yeah. To, because, well, certainly when I was a kid, I would just watch the same three films every day. Yeah. Like, it was like, get home, 
stick Toy Story on every day and I never got bored of it. And but it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like what makes children really connect, like in the way that Ed Sheeran did yeah. as well with, um, you know, a cup like Castle on the Hill yeah. sort of thing, where you get like just those certain, and that's just come from them at school, you I know. I think. Go on. And I try not to overanalyze it because I don't want to get hung up on it for my writing in general. But I think naturally to me, I enjoy writing lyrics. So if you open a song with homegrown alligator, yep. which it does, it makes sense to me that lyric when you then say see you later. Because, you know, see you later alligator is a thing. Yeah. So as a story that's about me heading off and exploring, for me to be the alligator, yeah. you know, see you later. But to a kid, that's such a image. You know, yeah. they don't need to... I don't know, if you hear a song that has the word alligator in it and you're eight years old, that, I can only assume that's cool. Like, that's fun, you know, because it's... Um, well, it's a visual, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the same with Budapest. Is I love writing lyrics that are, that are images. So if you have a house in Budapest, if you're a kid, you might be aware, you know, you might have to ask someone, well, where's Budapest? But it's just a fictional land to you if you don't know where it is. And then there's a hidden treasure chest and a golden grand piano, and they're all images. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's got anything to do with it alongside just the fact that the chorus is extremely catchy. <laughs> like, so I don't, I, yeah, I, yeah, no, I think you're right. I yeah. think the visual thing really helps. Because kids, they just have imaginations that we don't, or yeah. we start to lose. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. And they came back like last week and there was a bunch of kids on <laughs> yeah. the like, and they were all just like, shut up, like yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. Where have you picked, you know, it's just like, it's really interesting that they like just go into certain yeah, yeah. songs and millions just pass over oh, their course, heads. Yeah, yeah, of course. And obviously they listen, they're listening all the time to so much music and mm. so much radio, but just occasionally they'll just be with your connection three kids do you see i know they might be a bit too young but do you see an interest in the festival in a way outside of just having fun there do, is there ever like questions of like how does this work that suggests they might end up you know it would be nice wouldn't it i, I kind of think like surely i've had three so surely like one would <laughs> be interested but who knows i don't even know if it'll be going that long I kind of, I mean, it would be lovely if it was, but it's, there are so many factors it's dependent on that are kind of out of our control in a way. Um, and, and we're reliant on all that kind of good feeling, and you know, positive kind of those relationships where, you know, people help us out a lot and stuff. And I, I, I don't know, I mean, who knows? It would be great if, one, if it was going long enough and one of them wanted to take it on, it would be amazing. What are the factors that you imagine could if they weren't there or were there, could affect the festival running? I think it's just the this fact that the kind of location of it, the fact that we're using, like, you know, 20 different farms land. So, all you know, we have to... A whole, like, local... All the different relationships with all these people who we kind of manage to take over their their land and, their, you know, their, essentially their much of their property. Um, a, a village um, kind of... Um, the fact that it's a farm, the fact that there's extreme weather. Um, there are so many things that when you get through one, you're like, amazing. You know, that was, it's just an incredible <laughs> feat, like you said earlier, you know, it is like, 
and a feat and we you know we just feel really lucky to be able to kind of do it once you know every year to just get through it and to be like that was amazing and I think I don't know I mean who knows I'm feeling I'm feeling quite optimistic now much more so because we've got like a, a license that that's in perpetuity which means that we don't have to apply for it every year but that was like something that we used to have to do and so you know for a long time we were like we keep getting this but I think now Mendip our council can just see that it brings in so much to the local economy and there are so many benefits that and it's trusted as a kind of event that's run well so yeah we, we you know hopefully fingers crossed mm. we'll keep it going for as long as possible is there also something to be said for the fact that this far into the festival's life there has been somebody at the head of it in you and your dad yeah that it is just completely your passion to keep it going. And it, yeah. the, that's maybe the difference to other festivals where there's just companies run other festivals. Yeah. You know, quite faceless entities that yeah. put on festivals. And although as a punter you're going to this festival, actually it's a business just like your network supplier or whatever. Yeah, Not yeah. to like completely yeah. shatter the... But do you think that... You know, if not necessarily one of your children, that's not, you don't need to put that kind of pressure <laughs> on them. But if there isn't somebody at the head of it that is passionate about the charity, you know, side of things, and yeah. that that would affect the festival. And Definitely. I think it's so integral. And I think, like, the fact that me and my dad, you know, have always been on the kind of same page and we really believe in the same things you know like the kind of the charity side it would be very easy to cash in on it or you know like slightly sell out in certain you know certain things but it's like it's it's quite the the it's really important to us to keep it like as close to its original the idea behind it you know and uh, I, yeah I think um, it's a struggle but I think it's almost more precious than ever mm. um, and I can't imagine anyone else doing it. I mean, unless it was one of our kids, which would be miraculous for <laughs> three generations. Um, I really hope they like it. That's what I hope. Oh, but the, you, the, at the beginning of our conversation, you were saying how it, in, during the 80s, th there wasn't really much street cred for you at school regarding yeah. the festival. Whereas now, yeah. the, the kids must, you know, it, it's... They must be pretty cool in the playground. Yeah, I, th <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think they'll get more from it when they get a little bit, because they're only seven, five, and three, two. Okay. But they, I mean, they, I think they do. They're starting to realise that it's quite cool that they've got this this thing going on, you know, in their garden. Mm. Um, but as they get older, certainly when they start to like when they're teenagers and stuff. It'll be quite cool, I think. Yeah. Camping out with their mates and yeah. stuff, getting tickets. I couldn't give tickets away when I was at school. You I used to be like, I, oh, I no, tried. You could, people would be, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, anyone want to come? Yeah. I'm taking a whole book of tickets because yeah. at that point we didn't sell out. Yeah. I never met, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I just can't get my head around that. I can't imagine it. <laughs> In your childhood, is there any rock and roll stories or, you know, run ins with? X, Y, or Z that are <laughs> completely, to anybody else would be alien, but, but to you were just, you know, <laughs> happenings. Um, well, David Bowie did stay in the house, actually, um, which is quite cool. I mean, I, and he, he was, um, when he played on the Pyramid in 1971, he, 
he played on, he stayed in the house, but he didn't obviously, I think everyone was awake all night. So he went, he went on the stage at five in the morning, which is just as the sun was rising. Um, and, and he, I think that he'd been awake all night and, you know, it was 71, so like, presumably like anything went in those days. It wasn't like the license, the council would be in saying it needs to, you know, the PA needs to be turned off. And, um, and then when he came back in 2000, he told this, these amazing stories from the stage about how he'd, like, all the things that he'd done in the house. Like, and obviously, I've grown up in the house, and now I'm there living there with my children. And I was like, I said to my dad, I didn't know all these things happened in the house. Like, you never said, because he's always been like, oh, no, never. I mean, we didn't, haven't done anything rock and roll at all. <laughs> and then it took Bowie coming to the festival to tell me when I stood in the audience all the things that had happened in that house in 1971. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's probably the most rock and roll thing, I think, him staying in the house. And we've had a few over the years. That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. And do you, I know we've slight, we kind of touched on it regarding the future of the festival. And I guess, really, there's no telling. And I know you said earlier how doesn't need to be any bigger than it is now, yeah. you know. But is there anything that you've, you know, would love to see happen at the festival that you haven't thus far, you know? Is there any particular... That's interesting. Um, I don't think we're making some, a few changes this year, um, like just expansion of like late night areas and we're adding like an incredible um, installation um, to one of the late night areas in Block 9. But we, apart from like building on what we've got, like keeping, I think the elements are all there now. I don't think we need any new elements. I think we just need to keep like, you know, creatively kind of moving them on. So the, the kind of the design, the kind of mind blowing ideas that you see are like unlike anywhere else. And so I think that's the stuff which is really like surprising for people that you can't quite capture on camera. That like at three in the morning you'd be wandering through an area and there'd be like a moving head or something, you know, with <laughs> you know, with marching band underneath or whatever. And that those kind of things are the stuff that really excite me. So I think I think I don't see any radical changes, but I think just making it trying to make it better and better every year is that's the most important thing. Just never to stand still. Mm. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's good. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> but you know, thank you, thank you for, for having today. me. Thanks for asking me on. What an honour. And here we are at the end of this week's episode of George, Ezra and Friends, the podcast. Thank you very much, Emily, if you're listening. I loved our time together. I hope you're well, and I look forward to seeing you again sometime. Um, now, if you're listening to this, there are a few people I need to say thank you to, and that is Warren Borg, who edits this podcast together. Thank you very much, Warren. Oshin Griffin, who does the graphics that you see online. Thank you very much, Oshin. Josh Sanger, who works at Closer Artists, the management team that make all this happen. Thank you very much, Josh. You're a star. And uh, of course, da 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 da. da.
Thank you very much to you, the listener. Thank you for being here with me each week. Um, if you haven't already, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. I think you'll enjoy them. Um, and tell a friend. Let them know. We're here. We're waiting for them. They're welcome. More than welcome. The more the merrier. Um, I hope you're happy. I hope whatever you're doing, you're having a good time. And I will see you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.